First reading is from Psalm 33 on page 554. Psalm 33, verses 13 to 22. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind from his dwelling place. He watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warriors escaped by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. The second reading is in the Old Testament, Luke chapter 9 on page 1038. Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 27. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who did the crowd say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. It is a joy to be here this morning to be with you. And I bring you greetings from my wife, Shanta. We have um, 32 kids, three of our own, and a son-in-law, and also 28 that we have been taking care of for the last uh, 15 years. And we thank God that put us into their lives. I come from Rwanda, as many of you have heard, a country that was reduced to ashes during the genocide, as I said, 
but the country that we are proud of today, that he has recovered from the ashes of the genocide, a country where the word of God is preached, a country where we have seen many people coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and uh, the church continues to grow. We as Anglicans in Rwanda, we are about 1.2 million, and we thank God that uh, it continues to grow. And so uh, it is a joy to be here, and I want to thank you for what you have done. I know that many of you have supported the Ministry of uh, Anglican Aid. I know that uh, David Mansfield has shared with many of you, and many of you have supported the One Egg program, which has been a wonderful program to reach out to children, but also to help them with uh, protein, with the One Egg, and for their brain development, but uh, an opportunity to reach out to the community and bring the gospel to the community. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we want to thank you for this wonderful time you have given us. We pray that through your Holy Spirit, you will minister to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The message or the title of the message I have today, and I know that I have a very short time, so next time Glenn comes to Rwanda, we want to give him all the time. The service will have to be very short. It will have to be one hour or one hour and 15, rather than three to four hours. And we won't dance too much. Um, the, the ministry, the message I have today is cost of discipleship. Cost of discipleship. When you look at the passage that has been read for us, you look at it from verse 18. But when you go up to verse 1, you realize that Jesus had been with his disciples and he had been with them for a while. And then he gathers them, he prays for them, he sends them out after empowering them and giving them the authority to go out and minister and bring the gospel to people in the community. They went out and he gave them instruction that as you go out, you don't take anything. You go like missionaries, some of them. I've come here to Australia, I've been privileged to be put in a hotel and, and then as I walk and check out and they say, go in peace, God bless you. And I've been in a home where they have received me very well. But he instructed them to go without anything. And he said, go and stay until your ministry or the time that you are with them is over. They went, they ministered, people got healed, the demon got cast out, and then they brought back a report to him. And they wanted to tell him what their practical ministry, if they were students, and I believe they were, what their practical ministry, the result of their practical ministry had been. And they came back and they gave him a report. And after giving him a report, he listened to them, but he also challenged them to go on the other side and, uh, and take time to pray. And he took his disciples to Bethsaida, and they went out there to pray. But as they went, there was also a crowd that followed them. And this crowd, he spoke to the crowd. In fact, we know that there were about 5,000 people because we know by the miracle of what he did by feeding them. And he fed them, and uh, 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 after speaking to them, 
after bringing the message to them. And they were all amazed of what was happening. And so Jesus, after feeding them and after they are fed and they have eaten and they are sent away, he turns to his disciples and he says to them, who do you think the public says I am? They must have looked at each other, maybe wondering why he was asking that question. But they quickly answered. And Peter said, they said that you are John, some say that you are John the Baptist. I don't know if it is Peter who said it, but some say you are John the Baptist. And others say you are Elijah. And Jesus looks at them. Like if those that were saying that he is Elijah, he is John the Baptist, were people far out there, distant. But this was an inner group. People who were close to him. And he says, you who are close to me, who do you say I am? And Peter must have raised his hand. And he said, you are Christ of God. And after listening to that, he said, don't tell anyone else. You would have thought he would have said, go out and preach that message and tell everybody who I am. But he didn't tell that. And instead, he said, don't tell that to anybody else. And he started predicting his death, telling them that he was going to be rejected, telling them that he was going to be killed, telling them that even the priests were going to reject him. He was going to suffer. He was going to die and rise again. I think the question he asked them was a very important question. I worked in the corporate world and when, uh, when they want you to be the best employee and they want to perform well, sometimes they look at you and they say, we need to get you a coach or we need to get you a mentor. And they may give you names and CVs of those coaches and those, uh, those, uh, those mentors and they say, select one. And you will look and you will look and you will try to also research them and you select one whom you think would be the best. The reason is because you want the best from that person. And Jesus asks them a question, who do you say you? Who do you say? Others, they say that, but who do you say that I am? I think it's very important that if we are going to follow somebody, if we are going to dedicate our lives to somebody, if the disciples were going to follow Jesus as their disciple, they had to know who he was and who he is for them. And so here is the Son of God. Here is the Messiah. Here is Jesus who performs miracles in their face. Here is Jesus that they had watched and they had seen. Here is Jesus that was mothering. There was the mentor. There was the coach for them. And they are looking. And so he says, if anyone is going to follow me, let them take their cross and follow me. In that verse 23. And he said unto all, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
I'm looking at it from the American Standard Version. If we are going to follow Jesus Christ, if we are going to be his disciple, by the way, you can receive Jesus Christ, you can enjoy the benefit of knowing that he's your personal savior without being his disciple. Is that possible? During my days in Compass Crusade, they used to say you can be a carnal Christian. <laughs> it's another way of saying you can receive Jesus Christ, but not commit living your life daily for him. And here he says, for who would, uh, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There are three things that you can see that he's challenging his disciples to do. And those three things that he's challenging his disciples to do, he's also challenging you and me to do the same, if we want to be his disciple. One, deny yourself. Deny yourself. Two, die every day to yourself. Three, then follow. So there is, there is those that you have to do, and then you follow. Discipleship is a self-giving opportunity for you and me. Discipleship is a self-forgetting opportunity for you and me in order to put and to follow Jesus Christ our Savior. I love those words of Romans chapter 12 verse 1 to 2 where Paul says to his readers, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God which is your spiritual service to him. It is giving your whole self, no reserve, nothing you leave behind, as a living sacrifice to him. I also love those words of First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If a man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. I don't know if that's what it says in your Bible. And I don't know what your old is, but mine was messy. And I thank God that he enabled me. That he convicted me. And that I left that old mess to have a new life in him. A new identity in Christ. And you may look back for yourself and realize this is what I left and I don't want to go back. You may also look, it's another call when he said, take up your cross and follow me, is another way of saying, examine your life. See where you are. See where you stand. See what you have to give up. See what you have to leave behind. See what to be in the old category. And follow me. See what has to die. 
In that examination, you have to look and say, what has to die every day in order to follow Jesus Christ, in order to please him in my daily life, in order to involve... It is, it is not a casual life that you live. Discipleship is not a casual life that you live. Discipleship is a daily life. It's walking the talk of what you believe in Jesus and the promises of his word and the reading of his scripture. What do you gain there? Way back when I went to the States in early 1984, I loved the people would wear a little band on their arms that would say, WWJD, what would Jesus do? If I was in this situation, what would Jesus do? If I was making this decision, how would Jesus make it? If I was at work and I was facing an employee that I had to deal with, how would Jesus act in that situation? If I was in an argument with my wife, uh-oh, that doesn't happen. After all, I'm an archbishop. No, it happens. If I was in an argument with my wife or with my children, if I was in a disagreement of some, some sort, how would I handle that? How would Jesus have me handle that? It is a self-check. It, it is another opportunity to say, this is, is wrong. This has to be sacrificed. I have to die to this in order to please and to be a good follower of Jesus Christ, my Savior. Following Christ is a total transformation. It is not taking this and taking this. I think that's where Christianity is crucial. Because Christianity calls for a radical change. While most other religions, oh, you can be this and be this. You can mix it all. It's called the syncretism. But Christianity called for a clear choice of following your disciple, of walking the way of Jesus, of, of, go, of, 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 of being his disciple, his apprentice, is it apprentice, apprentice or what? <laughs> apprentice. I remember way in Rwanda in our tradition, we, had, we were a kingdom as a country and as a, a kingdom people would actually send their, their sons to the king's court to be taught how to behave, to be taught how to talk, to be taught how to sing for the cows, to be taught how to be good warriors, to be taught manners. And people could say, this one has been in a such place in the Itore Rujumami, which was almost like, like the, the, the school of the king. Because of how they talked, because of how they walked, because of how they behaved. They were discipled. There was an apprenticeship that they had to go to. They had also to leave, they had to lose something. They had to be away from their families. But when they came back, their school, you could tell who has been there and who hasn't been there. And actually the chiefs would give them cows as a reward. And if you came back and you didn't have a cow, you didn't have anything, people knew you had failed. You have to know who you are following. 
You have to give up everything and follow. Of course, when you are in that situation, you have to follow the daily mother that you are seeing of what is happening. I love it when in Africa we say that the pillars of African education are three. We are observation. You observe what is happening. I think the disciples did that. You imitate, and I think the disciples did that, and you participate. So observation, imitation, and participation. Discipleship calls for a relationship that will challenge you for self-denial, that will challenge you for cross-bearing. And I think this cross-bearing, this friction that sometimes we live with, these difficulties that we go through, these, these trials that we go through, I think they are designed to make us better people. I think they are designed to make us better Christians. I think they are designed to teach us to trust God for who he is. Sometimes we don't see it that way, but look back and look in your life and you see the hands of God in your life and you say, yeah, I went through that difficult situation, but it made me a better person. It taught me to trust him even more. Among the people who experienced a very difficult life is me. I lived in a refugee camp. I don't have time to go through that unless if we had a three-hour three service. And my wife and I, and, and I, and at an early age, at the age of 20, I left Burundi six uh, months on the road, on foot. I didn't bring my book. I was supposed to bring my book, Barefooted to Bishop. And a journey that took me six months. And in those six months, I went through a very difficult situation. As you look me here now that I'm bishop, I learned to look people in the face and beg for what I would eat. I lived in the streets of Nairobi for about three months. I made many promises, have you? Where you look and say, Lord, if you take me out of this situation, I'm going to do what? I'm going to serve you all my life. I made those promises, and you probably made them too. Cross-bearing. Though you may go through some frictions, though you may go through some difficulties, they are designed to grow you, they are designed to mature you, because God is there, and he can take you away from those difficulties, but sometimes he doesn't do it, even if you pray day and night. It is for your own good, it is for your own growth. This relationship of discipleship calls for us to put him above all other relationships and to follow him. It calls for taking a stand where no other will take a stand for him. You heard about the martyrs of Uganda. They were burned to death because of their stand, because of their conviction, because of their commitment. You hear people in northern Nigeria today who will be attacked and killed because of their faith and in other places. It calls for taking a stand. This relationship of discipleship of following Jesus calls for abiding in his word and in his promises. 
and John 8, 31 to 36, to abide in his word. And when you look down in verse 24 and verse 25, it almost feels like Jesus is our only treasure. And let me tell you and encourage you, invest in him and you will never regret it has the highest return on investment. I think in business you say ROI or ROI. If you invest in Jesus, it has the highest return on investment. You can gather everything you want in this world, but you won't take it with you. But when you invest in Jesus, you have eternal life. And I pray that you will actually decide to follow him. But that has a cost to it. Is that self-denial? Is that dying on a daily basis to your sins, to your habits, to your not serving him, to your not putting him number one? To you're not telling others about him. You know, you have something that you treasure. Does your next door neighbor know about it? Does he know the joy that you have, the peace that you have? You have an opportunity to bring the good news in your community, as well as you would want to bring it to Africa or support it in Africa. You can also support it here. Or how I pray that now not only you will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, but also that you will seek to put him above everything else. That you will seek to follow him daily. And that following him daily is actually learning from him and learning from his word and living the way he would want you to live. It is not a Sunday thing. It is not a home thing. It is also a office thing. It is also a workplace thing. That you will actually walk the talk of what you believe. And that you will take a stand for Jesus as you invest in him. Let us pray. Gracious Father, I pray that we will all come to know you as our personal Savior. Not only know you as our personal Savior, but also grow in you and walk with you and die to our weaknesses. And put you above everything. And I would pray, Father, that if there is anybody who doesn't know you, they will come to do so this morning. By just saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And you can save me. And I pray that you will come into my life and save me. Lord, I pray that you will bring peace in the homes of those that do not have peace.
that they will come to know you, that they will come to know the joy, the peace that you give for those who commit their lives to you. And if there are those who have committed their lives to you, but they are not experiencing that, I pray that they will die to that. That there will be a self-denier. That there will be a self-forgetting and forgiving. There will be a putting you number one in their lives that they will be your followers and your witnesses in their homes and in their communities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.